This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When she goes to the bathroom in the morning, she hears an imaginary soundtrack. <laughs> the American went to the bathroom. Everything's dramatic with her. Everything's described in a way that it's straight out of a movie. Her form of narcissism causes her to be deluded, so she thinks that she's in a movie of her own making. HG Tudor is back on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, God, I, I hate that. I hate that. Not going to call people that anymore. Um, it's n- not for any reason other than it, it just sounds like a Blackpool peer. Uh, ladies and gents, welcome to the show. <laughs> nope, not doing that. Right. Um, hello, everyone people who listen to this podcast some some who call themselves edge hogs that's the sort of youtube name the i can i can hear the audio listeners going sort of feeling a bit sniffy about that and going oh no none of these nicknames thank you i'm just a person in a car listening to a podcast thank you very much hg tudor so this episode i was going to put on uh, my Saturday ones behind a paywall because I have been trying to put a bit more of the ones, maybe some of the stuff related to Scientology and Meghan Markle uh, on Saturday. So so the Monday and Thursday, sort of the crux of the podcast remains uh, varied and different, whereas the people who want to get into the weeds of things and, uh, you know, the stuff that does big online and is maybe a little more sensationalist, uh, they can get that stuff on the Saturday. But because H.G. Tudor is such a fascinating person to listen to, and if you don't know of him, he is a psychopathic narcissist by his own admission, um, and he has a channel that you should go check out on YouTube. Just type in H.G. Tudor, you'll find it there, uh, where he discusses his own disorder or condition or whatever it might be, and other people who he believes has it. Uh, this is not a conversation with a doctor, as I point out you know, halfway through, and he says that he can recognize his own you have to make up your own mind. Uh, we do go, well, he goes pretty hard on on Megan, but he just thinks that he she's one of his own, if that makes sense. So I hope you find this of interest. Um, and then we go into sort of Tom Cruise and some cult stuff towards the end. It's just a bit of looking into narcissism. And to be honest, the most interesting part to me is just listening to a psychopathic narcissist speak about his own affliction let's say um i always say this but there are big episodes coming up um i won't spoil them right now i'm not going to spoil them they're all coming up do sign up on patreon.com slash andrew gold for the saturday episodes i wonder what my next saturday episode is because then that'll get you all signing up won't it it's a guy called james ss who was a student fired for his gender critical views and then the following Saturday, we've got Sean Atwood defending Russell Brand, because I did one with Helen Lewis where we uh, criticised him. Oh, and in the week, we've got Julia Hart, the my uh, um, modern, what was it called? My Orthodox? My Unorthodox Life. She's amazing. She's so cool. There's Alexander Barnes-Ross coming up, a, a former Scientologist. That's on Thursday. So it's all happening. But now, you're on the edge of psychopathic narcissism, Meghan Markle and Tom Cruise with H.G. Tudor. 
as we speak, HG Tudor, Harry and Meghan are being evicted from Frogmore Castle. They're being frog marched out. I don't know if that's an inappropriate joke to make, so I'll edit it out if it was. But it's being said it's the only place they feel safe in the UK. Mm -hmm. Is this the way to deal with narcissists? The best way to deal with a narcissist is to have nothing to do with them. So King Charles, with uh, this strike of saying you're not allowed to live there any longer, is actually being done because he's a narcissist himself. So we're having some sexy narc-on-narc action here. So (laughs) when Harry uh, made his various disclosures in spare, that, of course, with his observations about Charles and also his observations about Camilla, who, remember, is an extension of Charles in Charles's world, that will have rattled Charles's cage, will have threatened his sense of control. So Charles won't have liked that. So a way, therefore, of him nullifying that threat would be to turn around and basically say, you have a grace and favour property. If you don't show any grace, you're not going to get any favour. You're out. And this issues a notice of eviction. So he does that. Harry, of course, is indignant because he's played into this victim mentality as he's walked into this folie d'eau that has occurred with his wife. And, of course, to her, that's a huge threat to control because nobody tells Harry's wife that she can't stay in a property even though it's one that they don't live in very often. So in terms of is that the right way to deal with the narcissist, well, if it's part of exercising them from out of your life by saying you can't stay in that property any longer, the answer is yes. But expect with somebody like her, you will then get a raft of pity plays, which is what she's been doing. So, for example, the uh, one of the uh, supine publications that uh, she regularly pumps some PR dollars towards, hello, then immediately puts out, well, what about the children? Lilibet and Archie will not be safe because there'll be nowhere for them to stay. Pity play, big, bad, horrible grandfather, you know, trying to conjure up some Dickensian idea of the two kids wandering around in the snow, you know, with their their arses (laughs) hanging out. So, (laughs) Do do you think Meghan will, uh, and potentially Harry, will actually believe that? Will they make themselves believe that's how they, that's what's happened to them? She does believe that because the way that the filter of her narcissism works is that it will automatically interpret the behaviour of Charles in a way that is perceived for her to act upon it. So rather than her just go, oh, well, and shrug, that's no good because she's not compelled to seek the prime aims, fuel, control, carriage traits, and residual benefits. So in the same way, if you experience a dry throat, it's uncomfortable. So you know you're thirsty. That your body's saying, Andrew, you're dehydrated. Go and seek some hydration before it becomes worse. It's protecting you. Her narcissism has to do something similar. So what it does is it makes her paranoid. It makes her believe that Charles has got it in for her, that he's a horrible person. So then she's motivated to turn to people and say, look how horrible he is to me. Look how mean he is to me. So all those people go, oh, yes, poor you, Harry's wife. Isn't it awful that you're being treated that way? Which gives her fuel from their responses and allows her a sense of control over Charles because people agree that he's a big, bad, mean grandfather. Hmm. Although, I mean, this is something I pointed out last time we spoke, is that I think we all are on this uh, spectrum to an extent. I mean, you you are, by admission, a, a narcissistic psychopath. Is mm-hmm. that the right way around? Yes. Right? Um, I don't think that I am. But but I also, if I felt slighted in that way, would immediately want to sort of come into action and be like, hang on, you're the bad guy. And I'd tell all my friends, go, that person did a bad thing to me and I feel slighted. You would feel slighted, 
although you wouldn't necessarily you would put it amongst all of the evidence so for instance if you were given a fair reason as to why that lease was terminated you would say okay yeah i, I perhaps don't like it but i understand it she sees it in a completely different way from the reality of what it is so you as a non-narcissist will see it through a particular world lens which is shared by many other people and of course you might not like it and you might grumble about it but you wouldn't go to the lengths that she goes to in order to deal with that threat to control for you you have different coping mechanisms so in some instances you might make a song and dance about it but only do so for a short period of time in another way you might go back to the person and say look can't we sort this out and have a chat about this properly and, and, and sort this out um, i appreciate you want me to move but there's this problem there's this problem and have a back and forth with them in other instances you might just say well at the end of the day it is their property that, that they've served me with the appropriate notice i just have to go and look for something elsewhere you have different coping mechanisms compared to what her coping mechanism is i think it's interesting that you picked up on charles being a narcissist himself do you think it's almost impossible to grow up in that environment as a royal and not become something of a narcissist well when we say something of a narcissist i prefer to say whether somebody is or whether they are not rather than it being something of um invariably in that environment you are going to have lots of narcissists it follows like this we go back in the mists of time for those that eventually united the kingdom who was able to achieve that somebody that maybe was charismatic but more likely an individual that didn't trouble themselves about stamping on other people didn't have any sense of remorse i.e. has no emotional empathy an individual that's driven who believes that they're superior to everybody else that believes that they're destined to govern all of these people so that person is more equipped to get their hands on the bloody crown for the throne and then once they're there what's the most motivating thing that happens thereafter you must have a male heir you must have issue it's almost like the singular concern of holding on to power is not only to stay on the throne but to ensure that there's somebody there to follow you after and we obviously saw what happened with henry the eighth and the pursuit of an heir there so then you have a child so therefore, there's a pretty strong chance that your genetic predisposition towards narcissism is passed down to your child. And then that child finds themselves in an environment whereby they're probably removed from their parents at an early age and have to be with a governess, that they have people around them that are bending of knee and, and kissing of hand. It's a completely unnatural environment where the, every whim is catered to because they are the crown prince. And they they're in a gilded environment where if they treat somebody harshly, it doesn't matter. There's no repercussion because he is the crown prince. So who could thrive healthily in that kind of environment? Very few people. Now, it doesn't mean that automatically you're going to get narcissists producing narcissists producing narcissists, but invariably there's a strong chance that you're going to get one. And we see this throughout various royal families, including the one in Britain. Yeah, well, I can totally imagine that. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying about you either are one or you're not. I, I get that, but it still feels like a spectrum to an extent, and it still feels like one might be more of a narcissist than, no, than another. No, that I, I'm going to have to disagree with you there, Andrew, that you can have... Hmm. You, you can, if we talk about narcissistic traits, then there's certainly a spectrum there. But once somebody is a narcissist, you can have different types of narcissists but one's not more of a narcissist than another. You might say that person's behavior is more extreme than another narcissist. They might be more violent. They might be uh, more charismatic. 
but they're not more of a narcissist than another narcissist. They are all just narcissists. But if you've got somebody who is not a narcissist, you could say that person doesn't have many narcissistic traits, so they're not particularly proud. They're not particularly argumentative. They're not particularly vain. And then you could find somebody else, again, who's not a narcissist, but they're very vain. They're very proud. They uh, show off a lot. So you would say that there is a spectrum on the narcissistic traits, but once you're a narcissist, you are a narcissist, and there's no spectrum there. That's really interesting, like a a switching of a switch, I should say. Uh, I'm just trying to think about all of them then. Um, It's like you can't – Queen Elizabeth, I guess because she passed, you know, it's almost like using the the Lord's name in vain to an extent, isn't it? You don't want to say, would she have been a narcissist? Have you given that one? The answer to that is no, she wasn't. Hmm. She was a normal one. So what that meant was she exhibited emotional empathy, but also have to be remembered that people's uh, behaviours with others are influenced by external stressors. So, for instance, she devoted herself for 70 years to service. She's never going to run up and give you a hug from the off because that's not because she's uncaring, but that's just not the done thing. So the mantle of the monarchy that she took on shaped her behaviours towards other people, but she loved her children. And behind the scenes, of course, we've heard reports about how she would interact with with her children and the affection that she showed for them. But she isn't going to sort of turn up at the opening of a supermarket in Cleethorpes and go, all right, me muckers, and start hugging people because... Not because she doesn't care, but because there's protocol and the way that's been shown. I have a friend. He's a, he's an empathic chap. Very much the case. I was strolling along the road one evening going to our uh, local um, bar, and I bumped into him with his wife, and he was there with a small boy, and he's got two adult children. So I thought, who's this? And this little Downs child. And I didn't realize that each Friday for a couple of hours, he and his wife would look after this boy to give the parents a bit of respite. He didn't tell anybody about it. He just got on with it. Another time during the pandemic, he was seen delivering parcels. Now, he was a manager for the Royal Mail. So we thought, well, there's nothing unnatural there because sometimes he rolls up his sleeves and he gets out there and he helps. But actually, he was doing food parcels of his own volition to vulnerable people. Yet, he was known in the workplace as an absolute ball breaker. Why? He was able to put on a work face, if you will, that he was able to turn a dial within himself, whereby he didn't suffer fools gladly. And he wasn't a horrible human being. But the emotional empathy that he showed oodles of externally, he was able to dial down within a work scenario. So sometimes some people are able to alter their behaviours in the way that that individual can. And in other instances, people are affected by circumstance, which naturally causes them to behave differently. If you are being repeatedly abused by somebody, there comes a point where your emotional empathy gets eroded and your narcissistic traits come to the fore, and you may well lash out at your abuser. There are instances where if you're tired and worn down, that your patience and your emotional empathy becomes eroded, so you suddenly snap at somebody. So there is a movable feast, if you will, with regard to these traits, which is impacted upon by external stresses and external influences. I suppose the story of your friends taking that child out maybe gets to the crux of the matter with Meghan Markle because there's also, I suppose, uh, an expected maybe stoicism or you're not supposed to show off certainly about charitable deeds, whereas 
uh, so so that friend of yours was doing these charitable deeds but not trying to sort of gain status by doing so um, and then with Megan I think what a lot of people are frustrated by is the, are the claims that she's sort of a big feminist and she's helped all these people and we're like you know but I guess the difficult part for her is that if she is doing things in private without us knowing that's not shaping the argument that we're having right now then that's maybe un- unfair on her well, the problem that she's got, of course, is if she had just embraced the institution which had welcomed her and then got on with the activities without making a song and dance about it, then people would have continued to have welcomed her. Or if it was said, this isn't for me, I want out, and then retreated quietly and went off and did all of those things without making a song and dance about it, people would go, okay, we, we don't know what she's doing. Uh, we don't care what people object to. And this is very typical of a narcissist is, Look at me, look at me. I, I'm honestly kind and empathic. Why? Because I'm showing you what I'm doing. If you were, you would just get on with it. But it just so happens that whenever she does something, oh, look, there's a film crew there. Oh, look, there's photographers are there. Oh, look, she's staring down the lens. And also, and this is typical of certain narcissists, there's the bandwagoning that she engages in. There is no stamina involved. It's basically, I support the latest thing, whatever it might be. And I'm behind that now. And you look at this 40 by 40 thing that she purloined from Barack Obama. Where did it get to? Nothing happened with it. How is she getting on with the parental leave that she was squawking about securing for all the women in America? Football and quiet. Wasn't she going off? Wasn't she going with Gloria Steinem and taking Washington by storm? What's happened to that? It's gone silent. So what she does is it's big bang. Look at me. I've got this great idea. So everybody goes, ooh. Look at that. So she gets all this fuel. It allows her to control people and manage the facade. She's got what she needs. So her narcissism then says, you don't need to do the rest, love. You've got what you need. You've got the... And narcissism loves the economy of effort. If we can achieve what we need to achieve by the minimum of input, then our narcissism will direct us that way each and every single time. You know, I was just thinking... um that a lot of people comment saying they think that I'm you, that I they because I guess for Americans it's just an English voice, you know? oh, so it's, they think so I'm you're doing actually you. talking to so yourself I, right now. I was thinking how clever that would be if I wouldn't that be clever? That you are now talking to yourself, yeah, yeah. I have really to be well. doing both. You're doing really well. <laughs> such I a suppose smart, I'd have to. <laughs> we are such a talented man. <laughs> we are. I suppose I would have had to. I would have had to have recorded. You, like the bit of you first yes. and then I'd have to keep remembering what's going to be up there. It, it would be a really difficult well, unless on, the whole thing just, is scripted uh, just just let me shuffle through the script here that you sent me <laughs> no I wouldn't have sent you a script though would I because it's just me doing the script that well, yeah, make you, you sense, but to, you, you'd create a script so you know where you were up to so you can you, you could record my bits by reading from the scripts and then do your bit from the script yeah but but your bit I, I wouldn't have put in the script let me just read through the script what he might have done to try and throw a bit of misdirection their way. Exactly. That is what we've done. See, the Megan and Harry, <laughs> the thing that you've said, I, I, that, that frustrates me, and it frustrates me about wider celebrity culture as well, this jumping on any bandwagon, yes. and I'm going to do all these things, and they don't bloody do anything. And no. I think people like you and me, I think as you know, independent creators... Uh, particularly feel mm-hmm. that because you go and see, you know, Megan. I mean, how much was she paid to do this Spotify deal? How many episodes does she do? You know, I'm doing three a week. You're doing, you're putting like twenty yeah. things up a day yeah. on YouTube. We're both putting a million things. It's yeah. nonstop work, and she gets to just go like, oh, 
I, I wish I knew now. Was it 20 million or was it 100 million? Well, for the yeah. Spotify rubbish, it, 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 the figures vary. Um, but if you say it's roughly 20 million, I think she did eight episodes, mm-hmm. didn't she? Now, of course, part of that might be uh, she's not necessarily trousering 20 million. There'll be production costs, et cetera, involved in But nevertheless, it's a hefty wedge for the absolute beige dross that she generated. Yeah. Whereas you're creating quality well, material, you. I'm creating quality material. But th- that's 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 the rub, isn't mm-hmm. it? That there are so many people that do so, and then uh, we can look. At, I mean, take Katie Price for example. What does she ever do in the world apart from have a big pair of knockers at the front of her? That was it. Her, her novels were ghost written. She'd just turn up and blether on, but she made millions. Lost it, of course. But again, she got the exposure, and it's the same with Harry's wife. All she does is get the exposure by virtue of being Harry's wife. That's why I call her that. Because she's nothing without that name. Nobody's interested in her because she has nothing interesting to say, nothing meaningful. She talks in fridge magnet platitudes. She plagiarizes other people. She steals quotes from other people because she's such an empty vessel, which, of course, I've always maintained. I call him thick, her empty. And even South Park picked up on her emptiness, didn't they? When they had Harry, had Harry flip open head and then the echo inside so she has nothing to offer so it's understandable that people will feel frustrated because they think you are a talentless individual who's only been catapulted to fame and wealth by virtue of the man that you married a few decades ago private citizens used to be largely that private what's changed the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take 
to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. If anyone's just uh, tuned in for those last two seconds, we're talking about Meghan Markle, not me. HG Tudor's not giving me a dressing down. Yeah, well, it, no, it is. It's, it's Katie Price. Americans won't know. Any Americans listening or watching, that's a model who has, as, as HG Tudor says, big knockers. I suppose I respect that actually a little bit more because she's just sort of somebody who's come from nothing and has made something of the assets that they have and has also embarked on lots of different business endeavors and what what have you um without having to marry up so to speak and and then marrying up okay it happens but if you're going to be a beacon of feminist you know uh, hope then i, th- I think mm-hmm. do you know achieving your goals by marrying up is not ideal is it well you're right it's it's laughable for her to maintain that i am an independent feminist strong feminist woman when first of all her way in the world was fought by her father paying for her tutelage and then ensuring that she was secured auditions uh, as a virtue of him being in the industry already now many parents of course do that for their children but the point is don't then go around trying to make out that you did it of your own volition when patently you didn't but of course as a narcissist she will do because she is the center of the universe. And then, of course, Trevor Engelson helped her in the industry because that was who he was involved in. And then you can see where she's taken bits of the chef, Corey Vitello, that she was uh, in a relationship with because she maintains that she was a foodie. She leveraged off his contacts in Toronto and the um, food aspect of what he did. And then, of course, with Prince Harry. So it's quite hilarious where she maintains, I'm an independent, strong feminist and girls of the world follow me. Oh, right. So what do you do then? Find a bloke, marry him and leech off him. That's how you do it. Because that's all you've done. Do you you have, would you say if there was like one sign of narcissism that most aptly uh, is embodied by her, what, what would that, what might that be? The emptiness. She's, Empty, vacuous. There's nothing. But that's there. not okay. What What do we really mean by empty? Because obviously, okay, I got the South Park thing, and I, I found it funny. And there was an echo in her head when he was he was like shouting in there. It was funny. Um, but mm. empty. She's still, you know. I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been thinking about consciousness and the the what's it called the pre pre what's the front of your brain called precortal something. Do you know this? Prefrontal yeah, cortex. Right. So apparently, fish don't have that. Did you know that? Okay, yeah. I do now. So fish don't have a pre that thing. So <laughs> they yeah. that's probably why they spend their life swimming around in their own shit. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. And I've stopped doing that years ago. So yeah. right. So <laughs> they can't sort of have consciousness. That's what's believed anyway about the brain. And yeah. then different animals, blah blah mm-hmm. blah. And obviously, you know, we've got the biggest proportion of prefrontal cortex compared to the rest of our brains. Um, so what? in that context what does it mean for megan and you being one yourself to mm-hmm. be empty well the emptiness is the fact that there with her there's no substance to her so there's no substance and so she has to bolt on bits from other people in order to create what the world sees also there is the experience of the emptiness within 
which as a pure narcissist she has to fight against by gathering fuel to make the sensation of that emptiness um, go away for as long as she possibly can. So what happens is that she feels that sense of it's like an anxiety, a, a nagging itch, and it's the presence of the emptiness. She won't know that that's what it actually is, but she experiences it. And her narcissism causes her to fight against that. So that's why she's so thirsty for attention, because she has to get that fuel. She has to get that fuel coming in to try and fill up her emptiness. So it's a combination of the fact that there is this chasm that's there that she needs to fill, and also the fact that when you look at her, there is other than some the mediocre acting. And remember, all narcissists are actors because they're chameleons. So all she's done is monetize part of her personality. When when you speak of of Megan in this way, I, I sense um, disdain, uh, which is fair enough. Mm. Uh, but obviously, as as we touched on before, you being admittedly a, a narcissist yourself. Uh, how do you s- mm. sort of square that? Uh, and uh, why the disdain for her uh, and not like, oh, I recognize another one of me, you know? Because she's an inferior type to, to me. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and and infer- inferior in what sense? Inferior in the sense that she makes schoolgirl errors, that she has no awareness. Admittedly, she's probably wealthier than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's doing all right, isn't she? But she's not as effective at what she does. And she's more famous than I am. But I don't really care for the fame. It's not why I mean it. The legacy, yes, but not, not the fame in the sense that she, she's uh, in it for. But she is inferior to me in the sense of lacks awareness. She is more haphazard with the application of her manipulations. So she suffers the collateral consequences. It comes back and bites her on the backside repeatedly. And she's cowardly. She puts up this image of being kind and caring and then behind the scenes is a nasty piece of work. I'm charming and entertaining and fun to be around and then if you cross me, you'll find out about it later. But in the context of what I do here, I'm entirely upfront about what I am. Yeah, I get that. I think... um... And I don't hold myself out in real life as being a kind and caring person. I don't operate that facade. Uh, Mine is more about... Uh, being effective at what I do, uh, I don't have time to sort of go, oh, are you all right? I know how to say that to somebody, but I don't even affect that to people. I'm known amongst family and friends that if something happens to you, do not expect me to come with tea and sympathy. That isn't the way that I function. If you've got a problem, come to me and talk about it. I might be able to solve it for you if it suits me. But I'm very direct with it. I'll say, you need to do this, this, and this and tell people things that they might not want to hear, but I'm right in what I'm saying. I don't go around pretending that I care, which is what uh, Harry's wife does. And the passive aggressiveness of her, the cowardly manner, the the, um, schoolgirl errors that she makes, to my mind, she lets down the side. Yeah, I was just going to ask, is it a case of letting down the side? Because I I remember as a child, when I was a child, uh, not not always getting on as well with my brother who i who i love and get on with very well now uh but when i was younger mm. uh, a lot of what he did i found you know excruciatingly annoying and frustrating and i've come to learn in in mm-hmm. later life uh, in my in my 30s that that i think a lot of that was him maybe 
giving up the game a little bit because obviously there's, there's probably nobody genetically more similar to me in the world than him. Uh, and uh, as maybe mm -hmm. I felt that he did things in certain ways because he was a bit younger that gave up the game uh, or let the side down and showed people what we were really thinking. And I think that's, it's, we almost hate the things in ourselves to an extent, but it's also hating people giving up the game. So I guess, is that what it is? Because I mean, your your channel now, I mean, there's a lot of Megan stuff um, and mm. I, I sense I sense real ire. Well, there's still more non-Harry's wife stuff than there is of Harry's wife stuff. It's still outnumbered. Um, I find her boring, but a very useful case study, and lots of people watch it. Hence, it, would, it behooves me to be a complete prostitute and use that material to extend the reach. It makes sense. Um, it's useful lessons. There's so much material that's generated by her and the media that one can access. There's so much interest. And, of course, many people come to me and they say, um, they will email me, Andrew, and write, I didn't know anything about narcissism, and then I watched Harry's wife, and it made me realize that this person may well be one, or it suddenly caused me to wake up as to what I'm dealing with. So that served its purpose. Um, I've mentioned previously elsewhere that there is a degree of frustration that one can create a video that gives people life-saving and livelihood-saving information about narcissism and it gets a tenth of the views that a Harry's Wife video gets, but that tells you everything you need to know about what's wrong with the world. <laughs> I get Because I do a fair few videos um, on, on Megan and Tom Cruise and Scientology, and it is just the nature of YouTube. I mean, this is an audio podcast as well, and it was very different because it didn't have the discoverability that YouTube does. It was just either people listen to the podcast yeah. or they don't, um, or they see it on social media, they click on it, whatever. Whereas YouTube, it's like a video starts to snowball and goes wild and then you go well i could do another one about the esoteric intellectual highbrow something or other yeah. about the cerebral cortex of a fish uh but it will get like 50 views um or i could do one yeah. about megan again and it'll get five hundred thousand views and that's gonna you know pay mm -hmm. towards my new mortgage or, or whatever it might be people mm -hmm often comment underneath saying god you're obsessed with say tom cruise oh you're obsessed with him what you and i my response is typically no you are you're obsessed with him because you're here clicking on the video you're yeah with watching. no uh, other incentive i suppose but uh it's also just they are i mean well it's i, I often think it's a rather lazy observation I, I get that occasionally by people saying you're obsessed with harry's wife Michael. not in the slightest if you actually go to the evidence and determine the number of videos that I do as a whole, she's still in the minority. Also, uh, if you were to examine what I do on a daily basis, she forms a mere splinter of my time. I do lots of other things. If I was obsessed <laughs> yeah. with her, I would be focused on her. I, I would have cushions with her face <laughs> on. That's obsession. Yeah. I can tell you very clearly I do not. Dartboards, maybe. So... My day, if I was to go through each of my each moment of my day and categorize it, and then we did a pie chart at the end, you, you would have to have a line coming outside of the pie chart to describe her section. It wouldn't be large enough to write on it itself because she's only a very small proportion. But people are lazy, and it, it, it's an easy thing to say, oh, you're obsessed. But you, as I always encourage my uh, viewers and clients, go, you must go to the evidence and examine the evidence properly. Uh, in any situation you find yourself in, you'll find yourself surprised by what you find there. And you will invariably uh, find an outcome that's better than you realize because people make assumptions and it causes them to be anxious or fearful based on that assumption. And when you take them to the actual evidence 
And I, I really enjoy doing it with the quarter wits that turn up and say, oh, you're obsessed with her. Take them through the evidence and you prove that they're wrong. It doesn't matter to me whether they accept that or not. Generally speaking, they don't. But it proves to everybody else the way that you construct an argument and, and go to the evidence. I mean, how many videos have you done about Tom Cruise? Mm, it might be roughly. Oh, quite, quite, quite a lot. It's hard because a lot of them are Scientology and not necessarily him, but I might have his sure. face in the thumbnail or something. Um, so, mm-hmm. so I don't know, but it could be 50. Okay. And what's that as a proportion of your overall uh, I'm videos? I'm trying to see if it says how many videos I've done. But I do like I do like ten videos a week now, and I've been going for a couple of years. Right. Okay. So if you do, so even if you've done that in the course of the year, and let's say you've done five hundred videos in a year on that basis, the cruiser is but ten percent. That I would I would put very firmly that falls below the obsession <laughs> threshold. Case closed. Well, well even if us. I were obsessed with Tom Cruise or Megan, or not obsessed. Sorry, even if I were focused entirely on that it was a channel just about tom cruise and megan i think it's also maybe we're struggling as a society to get to grips with the concept of the independent creator and what we are because there's this parasocial interaction and there's this kind of back and forth and there's the friendliness and that that is all very real uh but then there's there's a i suppose we're expected to only ever follow like our interests and our interests must be profound um, and it, I suppose saying you're obsessed with mm-hmm. Megan, if someone labels that at you, it's a little bit like turning up at an accountancy and saying, you guys are obsessed with numbers. Look at you. You've done numbers again today. Yeah. Not again. More numbers. It's like, yeah. well, that's that's my job, mm. I suppose. Exactly. Well, it's simply, no, this is a channel about narcissism. It's not tittle-tattle about, uh, you know, a particular aspect where on other channels – and those other channels are about the gossip. That's what they exist for, and they're allowed to exist for that. There's no rule that says you're not allowed to gossip about Harry's wife. You can. If you want to speculate about whether she was pregnant or not, you're entitled to do so within the parameters that are set by the terms of service, obviously for the the, the host of the channel on which you're um, operating. But the fact is, I always explain to people, making very clear, my channel's all about narcissism and psychopathy. Occasionally, they'll throw something in there which is a bit more towards the entertainment angle, but it's still linked because what are you getting? Me, a narcissistic psychopath, entertaining yeah. you. So that's still narcissism and psychopathy. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Me. It's a, a meta way of ensuring there is some level of, of narcissism on your channel, whether it be the subjects about whom you speak or, or you yourself. Yeah. Um, I suppose the Absolutely. issue is, here's the, more, the ethical issue, and here's something that I think about when talking about Megan, and it even crosses my mind with Tom Cruise, and I'm so sure that he is bad. <laughs> um, what if we're wrong? Because neither of us are doctors. What if we're wrong about Megan? Or, mm-hmm. or Tom? I know that Tom Cruise is, I mean, he's done things on a different level to Megan. I mean, he sent, uh, by, from what I've heard, sent you know, ex-girlfriends to clean their bathroom with a toothbrush and stuff like that. So, but what if mm-hmm. we're wrong? Well, the short answer is we're not, because I know, for example, I don't just do a sort of uh, back of the fag packet analysis of somebody and go, oh, yes, they're a narcissist. I look at a lot of evidence, way more than I actually talk about. And if ever I was challenged, not that that ever would happen, I've got reams of notes showing all of the analysis that I've undertaken. And at the end of the day, I make it clear that, no, I'm not a doctor that I don't hold psychological qualifications. And therefore, if you what you watch, you can make your own judgment. As I'm very much of the uh, basis of giving people the maturity to make their own minds up about what they are watching and listening to. 
and form of view. That's why I get irritated with the latest revisionist behavior with Roald Dahl's mm. books, for mm. instance. Yeah. We must never, ever edit that material or anybody's material. You should allow people to be able to make a determination. If you do not like what's in a book, if you find that it uses offensive words, racial slurs, stop reading it. And if everybody else doesn't like it either, that book will not yeah, tell, sell. Tell us a bit or uh, about that. I read that recently um, as well, but just for people who aren't up to scratch, I mean, obviously, Roald Dahl is the, the children's writer, mostly children's writer, but of Matilda and James and the Giant Peach and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But what's going on? Well, the man was a genius. Uh, his ability to write those stories. And he led an interesting life. And if people only know him because of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, BFG, James and the Giant, Peach Matilda, etc., I'd encourage them to also read Flying Solo, uh, um, which is a very interesting read about his life when he was in the RAF. And he was he was a so-and-so. There's no doubt about it. He, lo- he loved uh, seducing women, and he had some views of the time, as is now said, that viewed with retrospect might be uh, that some people determine inappropriate. But the point is, the proof is always, if the pudding is always in the eating, his books are sold by the millions. And, of course, one of the publishers has decided that they would utilise these sensitivity editors or sensitivity readers to come along and say, well, you can't really call people fat, fat anymore, so we'll call them enormous. That's absolute nonsense. It's an adjective. So you're not saying, he doesn't write, because he's fat, he doesn't contribute anything to society, and he's a scrounging benefits sponger. But rather, he just describes Augustus Gloop as fat, because he is. That's what he is. He's tubby. He's a lardy. Okay? So the publishers then have decided, you can't use the word fat. You have to use enormous instead. That... In Fantastic Mr. Fox, Bunce looks up at one of the other farmers and because he's a, a, a pot-bellied dwarf. They have now expunged pot-bellied and dwarf because that's deemed to be offensive. And all you're left with is Bunce looked up. So it strips the book of its evocative descriptions. It's ridiculous. These individuals are exhibiting the sense of entitlement to tamper with somebody's original work. And it's outrageous. And it shows that they want to come along. And it is Orwellian. It's already started this need to change things. Now, of course, they've then seen, they've witnessed the public backlash and they've said that both versions of the books will be available, the censored and, <laughs> and then, of course, this. Right. So then you've got the choice. Do we go for the horrible one for our child or the nice censored one? Do you know what I mean? That, that now you're like the bad guy for buying the, the original. Well, well, that's the view that some people have. Yeah. And, of course, let the majority decide. I think sure. you, you sell those books and you can see which one's the most popular. And then Ian Fleming has suffered it as well as the as individuals come along and they want to revise what he has written. Again, he's writing it from at the time, I think, in the 1950s. So, for instance, if the N-word is used, it might be used in that context. But what's important to understand is that If you've got two functioning brain cells, you will recognize that these are works of fiction. And at the end of the day, if you don't like it, stop reading it. Thinking that you are entitled to tell other people what they should read and what they should think is a very slippery slope, which people have gone down already. And of course, behind behind part of this is some of my kind. 
because they believe that they have this righteous ability to prescribe what everybody else should be witnessing. And you get that minority, which is very vocal, and you then have a majority of individuals who are all sort of nervously looking at one another, thinking, I don't think this is right, do you? Well, no, I better not say that because the Stasi will come and kick my door in in the night. And it's the divide and yeah. conquer, of it, course. Now, I think that Roald Dahl one is, is so egregious, isn't it? It is. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> outrageous because it's, yeah. not, it's not even taking out... It's not like it's a call to arms to sort of uh, rise up and... Um, exterminate a particular race from the face of the earth which even though that might be viewed as reprehensible if somebody wants to write in such terms they can they should be allowed to and everybody else can pass judgment on that by writing a counter book to it or not even reading it or burning the book in the streets because you're allowed to do that as well but the point is that you are tackling something which is a, a book that's written for children which has delightful language fantastic stories there is a huge skill in being able to write like that that many people perhaps don't quite appreciate there really is and to come along and tamper with it is to my mind disgusting yeah there's also a huge skill in teaching children to understand when something was written in a different time and and that this would now be considered offensive i mean that's a that's a huge opportunity to teach those children to say hey look we're reading this bit and oh fat well you shouldn't you know don't try not to say that too often to people because it's it's you know not considered politically correct today or, or whatever it might be that's a teaching moment a teachable moment yes that's a, that's um, a so fair point i mean i i, I would certainly um take issue with some of those teaching points and say, look, it's an adjective. You're just describing sure. someone, you know, where, where, where are you going oh, to stop yeah. with taking offense at the way that somebody is described? But yeah, but that's a different, it's a different point, isn't it? I mean, so the, I guess, the, I guess the two, that that's a different point of contention that we could debate about. And I'd probably end up siding with you on that anyway. Mm -hmm. But just to start with, if there is something, you know, let's Mark Twain, of course, Huckleberry Finn and the N-word and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, Huckleberry, uh, David Bedill wrote an article about this with the Roald Dahl situation. He said Huckleberry, I think it was in his article, uh, the Huckleberry, Huckleberry Finn was, was first attacked by the right uh, because of the mix of races and stuff yeah. that goes on in that book, and then by the left because of you know, and the right. same thing happened with Harry Potter. You know, people because of the witchcraft and all that stuff, it was attacked by the right and bur burning books and stuff, mm. and then yeah, inevitably the left. And I just feel like there's a, the rest of us are just going, just just leave it alone, you bunch of lunatics on both sides here. Just leave the leave the book and roll dull. I mean. It's, <laughs> Just, it's really not that offensive. It's really to change the book. I, I'm as I'm as shocked as you are. I'm absolutely I'm flabbergasted. I'm really am flabbergasted that they actually went in and changed it. Mm. That that's and and it's always the people who do it are the ones who should be most aware of the importance of books and words and not uh, rewriting history and not you know that kind of. Well, it's important it to understand Andrew, that many of these individuals and we we can't say exclusively, but many of these individuals are actually operating from a narcissistic perspective because they believe that they are in have an absolute entitlement to do this they're showing a sense of entitlement to behave in this manner there's no accountability for their actions there's an absence of emotional empathy for the impact that it has upon people and they see it as their sort of righteous way of uh, educating people it, it's and invariably with these individuals, it's about, I believe in freedom of expression as long as it's my expression. And that yeah, narrow yeah. mindset you'll invariably find amongst our kind, not exclusively. And 
I'm not saying that just because somebody advocates these particular ways that that means that they're a narcissist. But I've done a few videos recently about the origins of many of these things, and it starts with our kind because it's a means of asserting control over people. So in the same way, religion, what a brilliant device for controlling people. If you behave and do what I say and give me a tenth of your income, you'll go to the nice place when you die. If you don't, you'll burn in hell. Oh, right, I better do what you tell me then. Whoa. So whoever thought of that? Now, of course, there are people that use religion in a way which isn't controlling, and they use it to enrich their lives. But there are a lot of people, and I've mentioned in my video, The Holy Narcissist, what better way of controlling somebody by saying that my imaginary powerful friend is going to rain down lightning bolts on your peasy ass if you don't do what I say. And so... Mm. Who's the holy narcissist? God, God or the Pope or Jesus? Oh, the clergy. Oh, the clergy. Or, and, and of course, you'll have lay members of the clergy as well that will use... They will use, They will basically triangulate people with God or whichever God they worship. But... The origins of all of these things as, as a use of a method of controlling people comes from my kind because we need that control. So whether it's brute force, whether it's creating a psychological device to control you, whether it's money in the markets, etc. So you'll see these sections of society and societal influences. Now, I've mentioned it recently about virtue signaling. That will have originated from my kind. I've talked about the cult of the selfie. That's originated from my kind. And then it bleeds into the mainstream, which makes it a lot easier for us to fit in because everybody thinks, oh, it's just a selfie. But if you break it down and examine what that represents and how it's used, it fits with the narcissistic dynamic. Some of the the virtue signaling, I mean, I think the same people who would be appalled by the language of Roald Dahl are now, I don't know if you've seen some of the videos going around about the drag acts for children. Have you seen that? I read something about, were they not going and reading in a children's school or something? And people have got upset about that. There were, no, there were, there were drag acts. There's like loads of, it's like gone viral, one particular, there's like kids and babies watching and there's like these really provocative, mm-hmm. like in your face, strutting and pelvic things in people, in children's faces of, of like drag acts going on okay it's 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 that same side you know who would also be uh, mortified at the word fat being in well, the absolutely and it comes back to the point that i made i am entitled to express myself by thrusting my crotch into the face of a five-year-old but you're not allowed to call say that i'm doing something wrong freedom of expression as long as my expression I keep thinking about uh, outtakes that I could clip from this and just, just your sentence of, uh, I'm allowed to thrust my face into a five-year-old. Um, it's okay. My lawyer sat next to me, so I'd advise you to tread carefully. <laughs> well, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but you, you were moving on to religion. Yes. And we've got uh, 15 minutes now. And I suppose, I mean, have you given much thought to cults, I suppose, how cults might differ to religion and how a cult leader comes into being? Cult leaders are invariably narcissists. They have an absolute belief that they are set apart from other people, often exude huge amounts of charisma, which are utilized then to brainwash people, to manipulate them, to follow a particular ideal, to cause them to be cut off from friends and family so they can be more easily controlled, that they are specifically seduced, you know, the sort of fishing for volunteers, fishing for members of the cult, the way that the uh, 
the narcissist at the top of the tree is a true believer. They absolutely believe that what that that you know in six years' time the Earth's going to explode in a ball of fire and there's going to be this sudden ascension to planet Zog. They actually believe that, and then as a combination of their manipulative wiles, they then imbue that view into other people, and they may find other true believers which is what the internet facilitates more than anything these days. It allows the village idiots to connect up with one another, whereas once before they were isolated. But it also means that other people, uh, people who are susceptible to this, can be drawn in who aren't narcissists, and they end up being brainwashed. But at the top of a cult, you'll find a narcissist because they have no concern for the uh, way that the people are treated. Everybody is uh, utilized as an appliance towards their ends of controlling them, for propagating uh, their beliefs and what the cult stands for. Often people are abused in these cults. They have to go through initiations. They're often sexually abused. Uh, often the cult's leader you know, has this harem uh, that's there. People are told to donate huge amounts of money, etc. And uh, so very much the case, uh, you will find that I, I think it would be highly unusual if you were to find a cult that wasn't led by a narcissist. And they tend to be they tend to be led by men. I was just um interviewing an ex Hasidic Jewish woman yesterday and somebody in the comments made that point. They the cults uh, inevitably turn into boys clubs by the end and as you pointed out the sexual abuse seems to be I mean I'm I'm like I'm not speaking anecdotally here but it seems at least more than half of them, you know. Yeah, I I mean often what will happen is that a, that a man will establish a cult and then as part of that will utilize lieutenants, and they're, they're often female. So Keith Ranieri, he drew in a lot of women. Yes. Yeah. And because mm. then it, women are seen in broad brush terms as more empathic, maternal, softer, kinder. So if you were walking down a road at the dead of night, if you saw a man coming along, you might be a little bit, some people would be a little bit apprehensive. What might happen if you saw a woman? They wouldn't be. There is that sort of stereotyping that goes on. So a narcissist will utilize female lieutenants because it's easier to draw people in with that individual. So, yeah, that's right. And so, and those individuals become brainwashed and they're susceptible to the wiles of the narcissist. They want to curry favor with the narcissist. They want to be the chosen one for the narcissist. The narcissist provides things that that individual is deficient in. Often they've got low self-esteem. Their self-worth is low. The narcissist presents as this ultra-confident, ultra-charismatic individual. So they, in a sense, they have their own needs met from the way the narcissist is behaving. And you, it's interesting uh, it's not something I'd actually considered as to why is it that cults are led more by men than they are by women. Because, of course, when it comes to the divvying up of narcissists, it's roughly 50-50 across the sexes. So I think possibly one part behind it is that simply the more outgoing aspects, not to say that there aren't outgoing women, but female narcissists tend to be harder to spot they tend to operate with more covert behaviors. They tend to adopt this appearance of caring, uh, you know, Harry's wife being an example of that, whereas the, the sort of more sort of alpha male character, you'll find more of those, leaving aside the, the male bit, but more that al alpha individual 
you will see more of that behavior in May. And I suppose that perhaps lends itself to that climbing to the top of the tree and creating an organization in that way. Yeah, I think that that reminds me of, of something I've spoken about before, but w- Will Storr, the writer, popularized this idea of the status game and the, the three main types of status that we, evolutionarily we would have gone for, which would be uh, uh, dominance, success, and virtue. Mm. And uh, some people can just be successful uh, and they don't need to do any dominance or virtue signaling to sort of get to the top of their tribe. Uh, but I think typically if you're out of ideas and you're like, well, how am I going to be this big, strong character? Uh, like Stereotypically, the man would go for dominance yes. and, and, and women have virtue. often gone for virtue, but it, it can be the other way around as well. I, I think as a proposition that holds up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, so they talk about toxic masculinity being this kind of dominance and a lot of women can express toxic masculinity just being sort of big and loud and mm. dominant and pushy and shut, you know, just uh, I've, I've definitely met a lot of women like that. I've met more men like that. Yes. But there are also a lot of men who have those the toxic femininity, uh, like sort of the sneakiness and yeah. the, the virtue signaling and, and that kind of thing. I, I, you know, I hope that doesn't offend men or women because it's, it's a generalization, of course, but it's just something I've heard. Yes, and I think you find as well that with female narcissists, they will invariably use, as you've just pointed out there, there'll be those that will use virtue. You know, I'm kind, I actually care, and uh, I, oh, you've had this problem and be compassionate about it. And then you'll also have, of course, uh, both sets of uh, both sexes will use sex a lot, but it's often seen as you know the idea of feminine wiles to draw somebody in and the fairer sex. And, of course, part of it is the conditioning that roles have been attributed through history um, that basically comes down to this factor. Women carry children, men don't. It's nothing to do with physical strength because although, as a whole, men are deemed to be physically stronger, uh, you you can easily find plenty of women who are very physically strong. Go to the Olympics, for example, uh, in medieval times. Who was it who was working the fields just as much as the men? The women were. Um, so, you know, they did backbreaking work, etc. They were carrying, you know, going to get the water from the well, and carrying those uh, flagons of water and so forth. And so women are just as strong as men in that respect. What took them out of the game was the fact that for a period of time they had to have a child. And that meant that they were dependent largely. You'll find isolated examples, of course, but you'll find instances where they obviously have to have somebody that will look after them during that period of time, provide an income, provide food, because they can't, because they either, uh, immediately after childbirth, which is obviously very dangerous for women, uh, they're not able to physically be up and about, or they basically have to stay and uh, deal with this crotch goblin. 24 hours a day so consequently the fact that they have to have a child takes them out of takes them out of the dominance game and so it's left for men so that's why society became patriarchal now if for some quirk in an alternate universe the women got together and said well actually those of us who aren't bearing children will look after the women that are bearing children it would have been an interesting outcome but that didn't happen it was always seen that the men it's a fascinating thought um have you have you given much thought to my 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 uh, hero Tom Cruise. In terms, of is he what? one of you? What do you want to know? About? If he might be, if if he might be one of you guys. Oh, he is absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, not only in terms of the behaviours that are spoken about, you know, the, what you made reference to. You know, he's notorious litigious. Um, 
trying to shut people down in that respect. The way that, for instance, he fell out with Spielberg, trying to convert him to Scientology, and there's a big brouhaha surrounding that. Uh, the the uh, instances of the way that, obviously, he, he moves through his intimate partners. Um, but also, as well, and he uses this to very good effect because he's, he's, he is a fantastic action star. There's no doubt about it. The man is fearless. When he was doing a stunt for the forthcoming Mission Impossible, uh, he practiced over and over again on a motorcycle ramp in the United Kingdom. And I think he did something like 1,500 runs. And then he did several hundred jumps out of an aeroplane because he has to get it right over and over again, training his body to do it so that he almost does it. For instance, the motorbike had no speedometer on it, so he had to do it by sensation. And then eventually did this jump off a a scaffolding ramp in Norway and not just do one take. I think he did it six or seven times in one day. And his obsessiveness with that perfection but the lack of fear, you know, he's amongst one of the handful of people that have been on the world's tallest building and have sat up there. And he's just sat up there nice and relaxed. When Will Smith did it, you can see him clinging on. He's a bit nervous. But when um, Tom Cruise did it, he sat there sockless as he's enjoying a picnic. So the man doesn't experience fear alongside with the obsessiveness that he demonstrates. And he's utterly ruthless, utterly ruthless. And you can invariably see that when he laughs, his laugh is really strange, and the eyes aren't laughing either. So when he does that, uh, when he does laugh, it, it's it's mechanical. One can see that. So, but he's one of our kind who's a huge achiever, makes fantastic films, and really is probably the last breed of action hero that exists in the film industry. I would suggest, but and he's very good at keeping it largely quiet, such as the facade that he operates. But here and there, word sneaks out about his behavior towards people, which reinforces what he is. And, of course, the beliefs that he has vis-a-vis Scientology. Yeah, cra- the crazy, weird beliefs. And now with Mission Impossible, I've, I've, I didn't even realize this. I looked this up the other day. But they've always had these, like, like a huge number of producers and, and things like that in charge of it all. And now it's just him and a friend of his. Who, who is potentially a Scientologist as well, who's now the director of the film. Mm. They've basically taken entire reins of it. And now the budget has gone from like what it was. It was like $50 million, $100 million. And it's now $500 million. Yeah. They've gone completely over budget. Mm. And he's just, it's just like, at what point is he going to be happy? You know, how much does he need to like own and control and be in charge of everything before he's happy? He will never experience happiness. We don't. It is an ongoing it's a treadmill that one's on all of the time that whenever something, somebody comes on, on that radar, they must be controlled. Now, for the likes of him, that's pretty easy to do. He's a global megastar and he's hugely wealthy and he's got some charisma and people think, you know, your films are great. So it's fairly easy for him to control people whereby they go, oh, look, it's Tom Cruise and they're, you know, awestruck. And those that might think that he's not very nice, well, he's got other means of dealing with them. So... For him, he gets that control pretty easily, but he doesn't experience contentment. He has that restlessness. Repeatedly, he gets bored very easily. The man's nearly 60, and he's still repeatedly uh, carrying out stunts himself. You know, he did the one in the previous uh, Mission Impossible where he jumped off the roof in London and broke his ankle, yet still continued. Now, that's not to say that 
uh, non-narcissists wouldn't do that. They may well do. But the fact is, as you've just said, how much is enough? You know, the people say, well, it's been a good run. You know, I think I'm going to sort of see the grandchildren and uh, <laughs> potter around in the garden now. That's not for him. That's not for us. That's too boring. It's too simple. It's too normal. And we, it doesn't yeah. give us anything. I think the other the other narcissistic point that's that's often maybe missed when talking about how Tom Cruise does his own stunts is that that takes the job of a stunt person, you know. And I'm not saying that's the worst thing in the world. I mean, we all want to do everything we can, but it's just like there are, there's a whole industry of people who do this. Well, it's control. Uh, who train for it. It's and, control. Yeah, I am not delegating my stunt out to you because you might not do it the way I want it done. You are not riding the motorbike the way that I want it ridden. Because you are meant to be me, and you are a pale photocopy of me. So you're out. I'll do the stunt. It's all about control. That lack of empathy reminds me of um, in, in Prince Harry's book, Spare, where he goes on and on about um, you know g- getting into the army. It's all he wanted to do, be in the army. And they, they give him quite a relatively cushy job where he's just sort of uh, commanding uh, planes, where you know telling them where to go yeah. and that kind of thing. He's not really you know, uh, but that he even says in the book is quite a, a high ranking job yeah. and it was taken the place of somebody yeah. who won't have gotten that job now because Harry did. And there's just absolutely no, so should we end on that? I mean, what's, is, is he, is he Prince Harry psychopath narcissist as well? No, he's not. He's, he's, an, he's not a narcissist. Many people think that he is, but for him to be ensnared to the extent that he has, he does have emotional empathy. That's been demonstrated. Uh, it's, it's, it's shown for instance, in the way that he's, he's dealt with when he goes to Africa and if he rolls up his sleeves and gets his hands dirty, you see he's content. And what's happened is he suffered a traumatic event with the death of his mother. He's always felt like the spare piece. But largely he was shielded and looked after and told what to do and where to go. He's not the brightest button. And then somebody's come along and whispered in his ear, do you know something? I really care about you. And they haven't treated you properly. And, he, and it's, Oh, yeah, right. Absolutely, Harry's wife. Thanks for pointing that out. Never realized until you told me. And so he swallowed the Kool-Aid, absolute hook, line, and sinker. And for him to have that level of susceptibility, now, whilst two narcissists can get together and work together, it does happen. It's a process of narcissistic cementation. That you, would, you don't see that here because what we know of the way that he behaved beforehand Sure, there are times where he's misbehaved. He's n- empathic people aren't saints, but he exhibits emotional empathy. And then what's happened is he's been drawn into her fantasy world and has been, he's basically, he believes it. And he's swallowed it to such an extent that whatever she says, it's basically, it's me and you, Harry, against the world. It is, isn't it? See how your family have treated us. I absolutely agree. And his own emotional thinking means that he can't see through what she has told him. So then he starts behaving like a grade A asshole because he becomes an extension of her. And so it's like he throws pelters at his family. He doesn't throw pelters at the family because he honestly thinks, oh, uh, they're decent people, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. He believes that they've mistreated him and his wife. So his misplaced sense of protecting his wife causes him to turn his back on his family. And that's very common with the way that a narcissist will manipulate, drawing people away from those support networks and then whispering in your ear, your dad said this about me. Rather than going, my dad would never speak about somebody like that. 
that empathic victim goes on the warpath, Dad, why have you been talking to my wife in that way? You're an absolute arsehole because he's been corrupted, polluted by the manipulations and his own addiction to her. She fulfills a need in him that was missing before. There were quite a few things I thought in the book where he that were maybe to me signs of narcissism, but they might just be a sort of tone deafness. Uh, the kinds of things were like he said after working on this farm in Australia where they're very concerned about water because they don't have water. And he said, uh, the only thing more important than water, privacy. And then there's a time when he's in the bathroom at Eton and he's looking out the window yeah. and he's talking about the you know the, the people out there, how fortunate they all are that they don't have to have his life, that everyone else. Oh, yeah. And there's just very little in the book that is is sort of going, well, well, mitigating it, you know, and going, oh, well, hang on. Yeah, I get that I have some you know, nice stuff as well compared to that. Well, also, let, let's bear in mind a sort of softy, uh, a, a kind of touchy-feely style to it probably wouldn't have sold as much. And also, don't underestimate the influence of his wife in the creation of that publication. Her fingerprints are all over it, particularly when you get to the latter stages when she comes on the scene, when he starts going about, oh, she's heart attack beautiful, because she sees everything in the world as like a Mills and Boone novel. When... When she goes to the bathroom in the morning, she hears an imaginary soundtrack. It's sort of, <laughs> the American went to the bathroom. <laughs> Everything's dramatic with her. And so whatever she does, it isn't, oh, you look pretty. It's, she was heart attack beautiful. The chick that <laughs> make the, met the prince. It's all that kind of thing that everything's described in a way that it's straight out of a movie because her form of narcissism causes her to be deluded so she thinks that she's in a movie of her own making and that she's the star of it all and so she doesn't just meet somebody they are overawed to meet the duchess of sussex and it fulfills their life and brings meaning to them that they will go home feeling blessed and that they will share that with their neighbors and make their neighborhood a better place that's how truly deluded she is <laughs> and on that note I think it's it's time to call an end to it. Uh, thank you, H.G. Tudor, for being on The Edge. Not at all. Pleasure to be here, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, H.G. Tudor, for making another appearance on the podcast. Go back to one of his the old episodes. I think it's number 185. You'll find H.G. Tudor or somewhere thereabouts where he talks really about his own condition and stuff. Today, obviously, it was a lot more on Meghan and Tom Cruise and celebrity culture and that kind of stuff. But go follow his YouTube, H.G. Tudor. Just type that in. You will find him. Subscribe to my Patreon to support this podcast. Get ad-free episodes, all of them, and the Saturday Extra episodes where there are some big ones coming up. Thanks for listening. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. 
Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.